I'm Kaitel. And I'm Joe. And we're the United Mates. Back in our school days, a shared passion for football brought us together as best friends. Today, we're separated by an ocean. I live in our hometown, London. And these days, I live in LA. But we still enjoy nothing more than chatting about the beautiful game. So we started a podcast. Join us. A few more old mates from school here and there. And new friends too from the world of professional football and beyond. This is the United Mates Football Podcast. Hello, welcome and welcome back to the United Mates Football Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kaitel, and as always, joining me in LA from back in our hometown of London is my best mate and co-host, Joe. As we typically do, we've got a very special guest on the pod with us. Our guest today has brought their expert football analysis and opinions to audiences around the world and across pretty much every medium for sports media imaginable. A journalist, an award-winning podcaster, a radio and TV presenter, even the voice of the home of football, Wembley Stadium, once upon a time. We welcome Kate Mason to the United Mates Football Podcast. Kate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. And how are you doing today? Guys, thank you so much for that intro. How lovely to be here. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really great. I um, I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I had uh, forgotten that we were not all Spurs fans in the room. So we'll see how that plays out. <laughs> yeah we will um we will indeed as um kai said welcome um welcome to the podcast um, it's always good to have fellow spurs fans on my side because I'm, I'm normally the lone spurs fan in these conversations but um i mean we, we will speak about spurs a bit i don't at the moment it's quite depressing speaking about tottenham but kai just before we um before we get into the podcast how are you feeling about arsenal bottling the league um given the last couple of games are you have you conceded yet? Or are you, are you still um you still holding out hope? We've pied it according to Jamie O'Hara, I guess. But otherwise um He is the man with the insight. So if he thinks you it's over for you then <laughs> that's game over, yeah. If O'Hara says so. He's like the Nostradamus of um of yeah, Premier League predictions, I I guess. Um so yeah, no, as you said, the writing's on the wall in, in, in that sense. But no, not feeling good. Having said that, a win at the Etihad and I'll be feeling a lot better. Not confident of that, but stranger things have happened. <laughs> Yeah, you're For right. football, it would absolutely be better if Arsenal win the league. But oh, yeah, but who cares about football, Kate? We don't. If just for Spurs fans, it's oh, that's the only the only thing I care about this season is Arsenal not winning the league. Now, I've kind of mentally like switched off from Tottenham. But um, yeah, oh we'll my see. god, it's so tough. The uh, I would I there was a bus um, passing me as I crossed the road earlier, um, which was doing something quite cool. I thought, which is a partnership between Arsenal women and a makeup brand which just goes to show like you know yeah. how things are calm for women's football you know generally that big brands are doing that and it was like obviously our color is red which was like a really cool um slogan and a really cool little branding thing and passing me on this red bus and I was just like the fucking world is falling in I'm allowed to swear on it yes of course yeah go for it <laughs> especially about Arsenal that's, that's absolutely <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I saw that too actually yeah no Arsenal mm. They're doing a lot of good things on and off the field, sadly. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully they'll their good times will um will stop soon. Um, but on this podcast, Kate, we always yes. ask our guest an icebreaker question. Um, typically we do look through our guest's social media channels and we sort of base it on that. So we have done that today. Nothing crazy, but we always we like we like oh. to see what 
we're, we're coming up with. So we saw that um, there was a video on one of your social media accounts of basically a dog deflecting in a free kick during like <laughs> Sunday league game in Chile. Um, so we were, it got us thinking about deflections, basically. So we'll, we'll give you some yeah. time to answer. Kai will ask answer first. But speaking of deflections, what's the best or worst excuse you've ever heard in football? So this could be from fans, from players, managers, pundits, you name it. But have a think about that. And Kai, um, maybe you can give some Kate some inspiration with your answer first. Yeah, do it. I'm going to be yeah, keeping it in-house, Ari Arsenal, and um, kind of what better way to do that than referencing Arsenal Fan TV, the infamous uh, Ty. Uh, Joe, I know I know you're familiar with Ty. Kate probably uh, might have popped up on your radar as, as well, but he's kind of the king of excuses. I've watched him from afar, yeah. A fellow professional. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You don't, maybe, yeah, the, the further, uh, the better. You want to distance yourself from, from some of these opinions in particular, I, I, I reckon, because he uh, when we lost uh, two onto Watford at the Emirates a couple seasons back, his, uh, his excuse was uh, that we mustn't forget that it, ha- it had been raining that day. Um, of, of course, you know, weather only affects one of the two teams that's playing uh, that day. It affected Arsenal. It, it benefited Watford. So um, a legitimate excuse, in my opinion. But uh, Joe, what do you have? Yeah, well, the one I've got is an excuse that our friend, Kaito, my friend Adam, told me a while ago. And I, I don't know if this is true, but and it's also slandering someone I like. So I do feel bad for saying this one, but... Back in 2001, Spurs lost 5-3 to Man United. Ring off at halftime, we lost. Awful game. I was there as a, as a young lad. First of many disappointments. But um, Glenn Hoddle allegedly said that going 3-0 up just before halftime sort of made the game more difficult for Spurs, which... No way. I, and I, I'm hoping I'm hoping it's fake news. I've heard that as well. That sounds yeah. like utter bullshit, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm just like... I just, I, I just can't understand that one. Love Glenn, but yeah, that's... That's a bit of an excuse for me. Um, so that that is my one, Kate. Um, have you you got anything? Have you? Yeah, I mean, obviously the the main n- n- most perfect reality thing that I would just like to lay lay down there first of all is that of course, if the handball law had been different, we would have won the Champions League. So that's just part of yeah, that. Um, but but I I'm actually going to predict an excuse um, for QPR fans. I've been at QPR quite recently, quite a lot for BBC, and um, they've changed had a change of manager. They've been having a bit of a tough season, and they Gareth Ainsworth, who's done well in lower divisions, this is a big job for him. He's come in for QPR. Anyway, he likes to try a few different things, and he's a bit of a like a wacky kind of hippie guy. And I don't know if you saw it, um, but I think this is a fun and interesting thing that he did. But the club put it out on social media and that wouldn't necessarily have been my choice. Um, he brought in a guy to teach them all how to do the hacker as just after he came in. And um, QPR already heard from QPR fans in conversation that if they go down, which they might, it's because of the hacker. <laughs> I have seen that video and I have seen the blank expressions on the QPR squad's faces as this man um, in, I guess. Because like part naked, like a proper guy dressed up for the hacker. Yeah, Yeah, Maori guy, exactly. And I, and I like, as an idea, I really like all that stuff. I find it really interesting. I'm um, for the Rama. We did this like uh, interview with a guy, Owen Eastwood, who's really interesting, actually Mary, part Mary guy as, as well, in fact. And he uh, did a lot of work with the England football team, the men in particular, to try and like bond them more and move on from the, 
you know, the, the days where they weren't really a football team. They were just a collection of individuals. And he has some really interesting stuff about the hacker and about kind of grounding yourself in culture and like being related to, to what's around you and history and bonding things. So I think it's actually quite an inspired idea. It was just the way it was like being filmed and stuff. It didn't give them the chance to kind of just go and do this thing that might have been interesting, but it's like out there on social media. And you're right, Kai, they look blank and confused and slightly upset. Well, recently, I think even just maybe yesterday or two days ago, there's the video that Arsenal put out on their Twitter of the entire first team squad uh, soullessly signing the mascots. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And again, it's kind of just like, I mean, you can, un you know, there's the back and forth in the comments about, you know, one side of them being like, you know, where's the game gone, blah, blah, blah. And then the other side of it, you know, like these guys are, you know, at the, the business end of a title run in they're you know, in the zone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <laughs> but still questionable on Arsenal's behalf to, to put that content out, just like objectively speaking, just doesn't doesn't look great. <laughs> It was, I know a lot of people kicking off, but I think there have been some like rebuttal videos that have come out as well that I haven't yet had the chance to watch, sadly. Maybe I'll never get the chance to watch them. <laughs> um, but I, the other thing is it was like intercut quite quickly, wasn't it? So the point is they like getting through all of the people. So I'm sure there was chat either side of the sign. It's just that they were weirdly doing it like that. There are a lot of AirPods and and, and, and earbuds in and things like that. So may, maybe not too much conversation. But yeah, definitely the, the editing, I, at the very least. Slate them. Come could. on. Slate your team. Go. Carry on. <laughs> Do it. Do it. I've got, I've got to refrain slightly. But speaking of that 3-0 lead, I mean, Arsenal, if, if anyone's proven that old, um, you know, what the adage of 2-0 uh, lead is, is the most dangerous lead in football. We've let two of those slip um, in, in the last uh, week or so. So. Maybe there's some, maybe Glenn Hoddle, maybe a 3 0 lead's even more dangerous than a 2 0 lead, apparently. At least that day. There's a lot of period. insightful stuff, I, but I don't think that was it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, do, I mean, let's not talk loads about Arsenal, but I am quite interested. Do you, do you feel like, is this a position you expected to be in at all this season? No, you know, like time is an interesting concept at this point because it's kind of like we, we're doing good and then we were still doing good and then and then we were like still doing good and now we're not we're not doing bad but like we're you the know obviously doing better so um no even just this season at the start of at the end of last season or what you know this is madness yeah the goal would have been for top four and you know yeah. we pretty much i don't even know necessarily if that's mathematically happened or not which i must probably happen in the next game or so if it hasn't but um you know we'll we'll get top four and um at the beginning of the season, I would have taken that. So we're not. We'll get top two, and I definitely would have taken that at the beginning of the season. So um, yeah, I really sincerely hope we bring it home. It's that type of thing where it's like, will you get a better chance? You know, the rest of the big boys will be back stronger next year, probably. Um, mm -hmm. Not including Spurs. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> um, uh, like the yeah, Leicester I, season for us slightly <laughs> different, but yeah, and and for us even as well uh, during during points of that Leicester season. So yeah, this really feels like the opportunity uh to do it but uh not confident <laughs> not confident um moving away from uh arsenal if anything in the opposite direction because we're gonna we're gonna focus a bit more on you again kate um whenever we have guests on uh we, we kind of like to kick things off um on on a, a personal level by kind of figuring out what makes them tick in terms of uh, football what got them interested in the first place it's kind of like a superhero origin story but for like a football fan in, in, in their childhood. So taking things way back, Kate, um, 
Yeah, I, I say it before it sounds like you got bit by like a radioactive football and turned into yeah like a, a football superhero. But uh, no, what what piqued your interest as a child um, was uh, it Tottenham? Was it just football in general? Was it playing the game, watching the game? Um, yeah, yeah. What got you into football? Great question. It's a strange one actually because I don't I don't have this big heritage of like you know parents having a season ticket and being taken to games the whole time. We my family actually lived abroad. Uh, quite a lot when I was a kid so there would be um, sport just like sport general sport on and I think quite often it was a sort of connective thing to England that that we would have you know like England football games on more or even like a bit of tennis or like Wimbledon I don't know things that were going on and it seemed like sport was quite a big connection to back home for for both of my parents and my dad was nominally a Tottenham fan but I think astonishingly enough he was for us for our feelings joe he was um he was like a glory Tottenham fan who like From took an interest in it day, yeah, yeah. when we were briefly really quite successful and uh and i don't think i think sort of hooliganism and all that sort of stuff he never particularly wanted to go to games um so i think yeah when from when i was very little I was sort of fascinated and I liked, you know, kicking things and throwing things and run, you know, I was always interested in sport and I'm an only child as well. So we'd, I would always, both my parents actually would always kind of be running around in the garden, like trying to, uh, quite often like games of cricket, pretend games of cricket or like a bit of commentating as you try and kick a ball, not very effectively. And I suppose as well, like in terms of wanting to be in football as a broadcaster now, um, it's a little bit of like a, maybe I'm more like the evil guy in the in the superhero film because some of it came from the fact that I did want to play football at school, you know, when I was a kid and not many girls, or maybe they did, but there wasn't a chance to. And so I would like, you know, try and go and play with the boys in the, in the playground. And then subsequently there was like a team I tried to be in and basically I just got totally rejected. So, <laughs> so yeah, I think subsequently that, kind of almost made me want to be a part of it more in like a professional way subsequently because I was like aha like this is going to be my world now you know I love this thing I love watching it you know I as as I got older and moved to London I could take myself to to games and and get to to Tottenham more and more um and and then subsequently like the love of Tottenham kind of grew from this kind of slightly low-key thing that my dad mentioned occasionally to like I don't know. I think even just like Gareth Bale as well. He he was part of the like real obsession phase, um, but before that too. So yeah, it's not a very um, linear story. But I suppose there's a lot of just like little bits here and there, and uh, and beautiful moments in World Cups, and you know, as he gathers there. But I was I was quite little at that age. So yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a nemesis probably in the origin bitten by football story yeah well i think it suits us tottenham fans being the nemesis a lot of people <laughs> like us much and enjoy our failings so yeah that's very very suitable in many ways but also you know like you said you did end up working within football so you know there were there were barriers there when you were younger in terms of you couldn't play with the the guys and things like that you know it's impressive how um you kind of overcame those challenges i suppose as a youngster and now yeah very much um involved and yeah, hopefully not the villain anymore. Hopefully more, more the the hero, so to speak. Oh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> um, but we've got we've got a, a slightly less kind of serious question now because obviously you are you're, you're in the football broadcasting world, well, the wider sporting broadcasting world. So 
Kaito and I were thinking really about because there's so many kind of pundits out there. Um, mm. Some who are professionals, ex-professionals, some who um, didn't play the game. But we were thinking if you could put a five-a-side team together, pundits. So that could be people like yourself. That could be people. Um, any type of pundit. Commentate. So can I be? Is this my team? I get to be yeah. in it. Yeah, yeah. I'd want to be, be in it. Yeah, yeah. You can be in it. So we, so Kaito and I, we, I mean, we've had a head start because we've created our own five-a-side pundit teams. So yeah. We'll give you again, we'll give you a bit of time to think about your team. Um, but I'll let I'll let Kaitel kind of explain his team first, and maybe give a few reasons why certain people have made it. So yeah, Kai, I'll hand it over to you, and let's see see who's made it into your pundit five aside team. Well, I'm going off of the kind of no goalkeeper sort of formation. Yeah. It's like a, a two two one that I've put together. I think that's the, that's the classic five aside formation, surely, or like a three two or something. But the back two is going to consist of uh, a former guest of ours and uh, you know solid defender. Solid guy as Nato well. Manua. Exactly. Is it? Nato Manua. it is. Um, yeah, great. He's just going to be patrolling that kind of like right side of defense. Um, I guess that's the one. Now, now I feel like I'm about to throw shade on Nadem, but yeah, maybe the, the maybe the left foot wasn't his strong sort of strong suit. I don't think, but he'll be our, our right sided defender. And then on that uh, left center back position, uh, Martin Keown. You know, I've got to throw it. You know, keep it in house again with Arsenal. He's he's a classic hard man. But what I like about Martin Keown compared to some of the other kind of players of his generation is that he's or i should say pundits ex-players pundits of this current generation um he's kind of bridged that gap a bit better than the likes of maybe Sunes and uh, keen in terms of just being like full-on old school um you know can't don't make excuses types of you know i think he's got a pretty level head when it comes to his perspective on on football i don't mind martin keown's takes and i think he's aged like a fine wine as well just from a kind of he's, he's a he's a bit of a silver fox um <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it there with uh i think with you Mark. would enjoy that as a description <laughs> of yeah, feel free if you see him you can you can pass that along but um getting into the midfield now uh i've got a bit of an enforcer uh nigel de young uh i just think Oof. he would actually just be fantastic oh, in five five aside football and then also i think it wasn't that long ago that he might have been live on air with perhaps it was keys and gray and i think keys maybe was trying to give it a bit and he sort of wasn't standing for it um which i think Probably isn't an easy thing to do from a, especially given that he was maybe like the tertiary guest relative to kind of uh, Keys and Gray being the more like the front men. But, uh, you know, yeah, big prowls the... though. He like is in Qatar the whole time. Okay. So... Obviously, I lived out there and worked there. So I think probably that came more from a kind of confidence position rather than a real fight because they play, they're constantly playing golf, those lads. Okay. <laughs> well, he, you know, kind of embodied that on the pitch, just a bit of a, a terrier and a bit of a no-nonsense midfielder and um, with his opinions as well. So uh, we've got uh, Nigel in there. Uh, we've got uh, Laura Woods has got to be in there. Again, Arsenal kind of hat is, yes. is very, very much on. Um, and I just, you know that she'd turn up for the North London Derby because she'd yeah. just give 150% in, on that occasion. Otherwise, yeah. with the striker extremely unpopular opinion uh in terms of uh kind of a, a punditry uh talent so to speak but michael owen um objectively i find him quite humorous to kind of listen to i'm not really kind of saying that that's an intentional sort of thing on, on his behalf but um at the end of the day he's going to be ruthless in front of goal i think we've all seen the video of him just banging in shots against like children back in his um his kind of heyday for liverpool so you know he'd take this five aside very seriously, very seriously. um and he'd probably score about 10 goals every game so that, that's my team 
um, and the reasoning behind it. Uh, Joe, what do what do you have? Yeah, so I've, I've limited myself to two sort of ex pros, um, okay. and then I've got three other people from the world of football. So I'll go with the ex pros first. So I've got I've got Alex Scott in there just because I think mm. she'd be the real engine room of the team. Still has a bit of quality and good, and she she strikes me as someone who'd be good at five aside. And then accompanying her as an ex pro, I've got Hal Robson Carney, who again mm. I think is. His fitness is still pretty strong. And he also, he has that turmeric co-company, so he can supply the team with these turmeric shots. So we, you know, making sure the joints are all um, working well as they should be. So, you know. I've heard that stuff. He thinks it's going to change your life. I didn't change my life. I did like 30 days of it, but. um... Did it work? Well, I always feel quite cheerful. I don't think. There we go. (laughs) It'll make the team happy at least then. It might not make the the wrong demographic. (laughs) <laughs> I tell you what it was is it did it, it did taste nice. I didn't expect it to taste that nice, you know. You think yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, right, ginger, don't know, but yeah. So I will yeah. say that for it. I'm oh, there we it. go. So there, 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 there's something going for Hal's um his turmeric. So there we go. Yeah. But then um on the less healthy side, I've actually got Mark Pugach in there. Not because he's an unhealthy person, but because when he came on our podcast, he says he likes to have a kebab. So I think. After the football, he'd probably like to go and have a pint and a kebab, which I think is, um, you know, so that's always quite a nice part of playing five aside. I certainly do that with the people in my team. Then who have I got left? I've got Jake Humphrey, just because I think he's quite tall, and I reckon you could stick him in goal, and maybe he'd, um, I have no, maybe he would, <laughs> maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Um, you see, it's it's a hypothesis there. Um, I know he has his high performance. Who knows if he's got high performance on the pitch though? Um, he needs some turmeric clearly. And then um, last, oh, okay, Kate, go ahead. Um, oh me, um, I, I've gone. I, I feel like I need further kind of analysis to go into this. But obviously, if I'm going to play in this team, I'm interested that you guys haven't, you didn't put yourself in your team. Well, I'll, you, you know what? I've just realised before you jump into your one, I'll, I'll say <laughs> I'm in there as well. But we'll have a, I'm going to have a sixth man in my team, and that's okay. Peter, that's Peter Drury, just because he's going to be on the side commentating. So when oh, I score so a good. goal. He's going to just describe it in his poetic way. And yeah. Yeah, that's such a nice idea. Well, in that case, then you should have like Emma Hayes as a, as like. She'd be a good coach. You can have a manager as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd take it. I think that would be helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing is, I didn't, I see myself as like a striker, but I've kind of, I guess in my formation, we've got like one defender and that's basically me because I want to have, I think I want to have Sunes and Glenn Hoddle. I'm trying, I'm not controlling for age because I, I'm, I suppose I'm thinking kind of prime of these guys. It doesn't work really because because obviously it's as now. Because um, then I've also controlled for age and that then I would put JB McEnough up front because he's still quite young. <laughs> so yeah, this is quite disordered thinking. But anyway, he's he's scored some 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 great free kicks and and it's just like vibes, right? I just think he'd be a great person to have on the team. Um, and then I think maybe Annie Aluko as well because I'd want to have two. I'd want to have two girls in the side, right? Two girls, four guys seems reasonable. I'm not sure it's going to be a winning team, but it would have vibes, right? Vibes, vibes that counts. Five aside, yeah. Five aside, who cares about quality? Vibes yeah. is like the new away goals rule. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man, I miss away goals. Yeah, I, I feel pretty team away goals as well. I don't know if that's partly because also Lucas Moore is like last minute. That was an away goals. I feel like away goals have been quite kind to Spurs as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I was also looking at a list. I've forgotten most of the other people, but a list of all the people who've ever been given 10 out of 10 in the, you know, the Le Keep 
um rankings and they're so they're so stringent and nobody ever does so I don't know it's only like 15 people who've ever got them and obviously it's like Messi and Neymar and blah 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 but Lucas Moura got 10 oh. for that oh, so yeah now, now he's, he's playing in the under 21s on the weekend after <laughs> I mean he got sent off again yeah it's I think <laughs> Lucas he had he had his moments but yeah perhaps it's time to say goodbye to Lucas as well that's in the Spurs trophy cabinet, eh? The the ten out of ten rating for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why did we let him talk? Yeah, and this, the trophy cabinet thing is just oh, I just, just we just need to. I just want to win a trophy. I just want to win a trophy so it all stops. And I can just like I don't think I'll even be happy. I'll just like be able to sleep easy finally, knowing that these jokes will stop. But yeah, the problem is though, I am. Um... Not to reference my own media like some sort of Ponzi dickhead, but uh, <laughs> I, I wrote a, um, I've got this column in the Metro um, like every other Friday, and I did one on Tottenham quite recently, just before they sat Conte. And God, it's really hard to write six hundred and fifty words on your club when you obviously know all the like backwards and forwards and arguments that you've had with yourself and with other fans. Um, and you know that, like, whatever you say, people are going to be like, oh, she's an idiot. Yeah. I can't believe she's not taking into account whatever. So anyway, um, but my theory was basically that some of the some of the issues we've had recently, and there's all sorts of other issues, of course, but um, some of the issues we've had recently around uh, the Jose appointment and, and kind of the Conte appointment, although I sort of believed in it at the time, is from this like absolute desperation that everybody has to just win a fucking trophy at all costs. Mm. I think there's something. And it is, yeah. Like, late, and then you late. look up down the road and you see the bloody process going on. <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah, makes it worse that we sort of had our own process under Poch. And we uh, fucked it. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, we had this incredible team. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's all. And we didn't buy a player for 18 months. And yeah. obviously, there's the stadium situation, but. That's the bit. Yeah, no, man. that's that's the moment it all. Yeah, it all went wrong when we. Yeah, we had the team and we stopped investing. But oh god, yeah, we could we could go down a rabbit hole with this. It's so so upsetting. I'm sure Kaito absolutely loves it. Look at Kaito smiling. It He's only took Arsenal time, like so yeah, think, what like 15 years post stadium to to get our act together. So um, you know that's yeah, maybe you got it. to win things in the meantime. Yeah, like I wouldn't say no to an FA Cup. Oh, no, of course not. Give me, give me the carabao for god's sake yeah <laughs> <laughs> was that your entire five aside sorted yeah because i included myself right so i went joby and annie Zunes, ben Hoddle, me emma hayes oh. although maybe i should have like more of a player manager i mean i guess glenn could be the player manager yeah he, he did that job back at chelsea didn't he so he's, he's got yeah. he's got history with it yeah Not previous <laughs> yeah so I would, um three yeah. good teams to be fair actually i'd say um uh yeah i didn't put myself in mind but i would definitely love to play alongside some of those names honestly in all of the teams i'd be happy i'd bite your hand off just to play <laughs> with any of them um yeah maybe maybe the opportunity will arise you know we'll, we'll get nedim on the line we'll get you know you can ring some of your mates we'll ring our mates <laughs> we'll make it happen amazing yeah i think i'm i definitely agree that sunas would be an important play like an important guy and i think he would be fun afterwards as well mark pugach so i was a bit concerned having listened to that episode he said he was in that specific kebab shop in newcastle at four in the morning so i think we and might have to be quite like yeah it might it might be it might escalate training. the after yeah. drinks might yeah yeah i mean it would have to be after a win i think that you let him decide um where you go if after yeah you know but 
Yeah, who'd have thought it? Mark Pugach absolutely loves kebabs, apparently, which is I'm I'm all I'm here for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, from kebabs back to Kate, and yeah, we're gonna move on to some of your own work and uh, accomplishments now. Um, obviously, you you know you've really packed actually quite a lot into your career already, so we're not gonna be able to touch upon all of them, but we'll kind of focus on a few of your endeavors and. Um, Speaking on Qatar, which is a place that has played quite a big role in your career, um, I think would have moved there maybe around 2017 to begin working for yeah. BS Sports. Um, and then more recently, obviously, you've returned in 2022 for the World Cup as well. So speaking on football culture in Qatar and kind of just like that part of the world in general, did you notice any sort of evolution in terms of maybe the outlook um, that the region has on football. I'm kind of specifically, yeah, talking about the time frame, obviously, that you're familiar with um, versus yeah. kind of having moved there compared to this past year or so. Uh, interesting question. I mean, I think the thing about Qatar is it's that I always think is important to remember is that it's such a teeny place that it's hard to, and it's such a small number of people, number of Qataris. I mean, there's only a few hundred thousand actual native Qataris who live in Qatar who exist at all, full stop, right? So it's hard to talk about their personal footballing culture because it's just like a, a tiny little group of people, you know, 50% of whom are women who don't really have that much access to the sport. But in terms of caring about it, I mean, all of the Middle East, you know, you would go, you would go down the, if you go down the corniche, the kind of bit that runs along the water, there'd always be people, because there's so many people who have moved there from all over the world, um, particularly like the Indian subcontinent and then other parts of the Middle East. You'd always see like kids and and people kind of having a kick about. But in terms of the stadiums themselves, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I was mistaken about a few things in terms of how it would play out. I wasn't sure how it would be in terms of like, safety and management of the people there just because it was such the world cup itself was such a thing that had never to have that number of people in the country just seemed to me to be like mind-boggling because whenever I'd been to watch a game of football when I was there from 2017 to 2019 the stadiums are just completely empty like there's no they occasionally would have or quite often they would have like workers i.e like construction workers and low-wage workers basically would might be paid to go and like sit in the stadium and bang a drum about, and like do chanting right but there was no real kind of organic lots of people coming to watch the game of football um and I think partly that's because culturally it's not really a yeah I don't, it's not really a done particularly a done thing to get out and about so much in big groups it feels like again in Qatar I'm, I know I'm making big generalizations but again it's a very small population so and and when I was I made this documentary radio documentary about Qatar in the run up to the World Cup and and I think I spoke to much cleverer like academic -y people about it who like studied the region and that was their assessment of it as well. Um, so I think a lot of the football culture idea comes from the fact that Qatar owns PSG as well. There's a lot of people running around in PSG shirts but you would also see and this is something quite anathema to people in to English football fans really but people might turn up to work in like a Barcelona top one day and then a Real Madrid shirt the next day and they would see no real like conundrum in that um so yeah it was it was quite confusing <laughs> so observe um, I guess yeah. given that um that Qatar in particular is kind of this 
larger than life place considering especially how you mentioned that realistically the population is you know minimal and the the actual space is is minimal but obviously it's it's renowned you know we see all the incredible skyscrapers and you know billions and billions of whatever currency you want to call like you know put it all around the place it would you say maybe then that the aspect of pride of being able to host you know the, the world's biggest sporting kind of you know besides the olympics perhaps uh kind of moment um in Qatar was that with that superseded kind of like the the baseline kind of like emotion around the sport itself it was just kind of like a proud proud moment for Qatar in particular yeah it's a great assessment of it yeah hugely proud um and again I wanted to you know I was trying to speak to men in I mean there's one or two women actually who have big influential positions in the country but but men mainly about how it felt and and the massive journey that Qatar have been on, has been on in this like tiny ridiculously short period of time from like the 70s to now you know when when there weren't you would have if you'd have gone to Qatar what 50 years ago the the shoreline was just empty there's like one hotel and it was just empty and you talk about those skyscrapers now you know the whole thing is is built up and and shiny and during the world cup they had all of these like you know, Godzilla-sized uh, pictures of, you know, Luka Modric or Harry Kane or whoever. Um, and so, yeah, it was this desire to to host the world, certainly. It was a huge thing of pride. But then, again, I think generally there's the kind of senior Qataris are quite private and quite worried mm. about speaking about themselves and their and their dreams because it's almost like... The whole of the Qatar population, as in of Qatari specifically, is involved in like a PR operation. It's like you're signed up to P to PR Qatar from the moment you're born. Um, so yeah, there was this this anxiety, I think, for the older people about saying anything, just in case you know it didn't didn't quite sound perfect. I and mean, of course, it's not democracy as well. So you know, if someone takes against what you said, then then you might not have your family might ha not have so much influence in future. Interestingly, though, I did manage to, it was amazing, I did manage to speak to some, on tape, to some young women who were playing football in the country and were actually Qatari. And they were pretty like, uh, I mean, they didn't really feel as though they could necessarily change much because even them, you get given a whole load of money um, if you're Qatari depending on the sort of thing you do. So you you would get paid, your tuition fees would be paid anywhere else in the world. So lots of people come and study in, in, in England or in Wales, all around in the States. And you would get spending money of several thousand pounds a year and you would get flights as often as you wanted to. So um, yeah, there's huge benefits to being Qatari and you'd think that that would mean, you know, access to education and the money that you have would mean you could you could do pretty much anything. But but of course, not really, you know, you can't, that doesn't necessarily mean you can change your country, but they had ambitions, definitely. And lots of them wanted to play football. Yeah, well, like, like you were saying earlier, Kate, there is this sort of project PR Qatar operation going on. There's not a democracy there. And obviously, with your documentary inside the Qatar World Cup, you kind of went underneath, obviously, as, as the documentary suggests, um, the, the kind of PR exercise. And like you said, you spoke to sort of female Qataris who played football. I know you spoke to sort of one of the first Qatari people who came out as being gay as well as stadium workers and things like that. And I know, you know, you won an award for it and it was a really great documentary. But 
I suppose in the build-up to making this and kind of when you were prepping for this, were you weighing up kind of the potential consequences for these people you were speaking to and um, and yourself? Was, was it sort of the biggest responsibility you'd undertaken in your um, sports broadcasting career today? God, yeah, definitely. But I mean, that's like, you know, looking after your sources is is kind of the number one in serious journalism, which, you know... I I am mainly a you know a sports presenter. I don't I wouldn't necessarily because ha- uh, being a serious journalist wasn't necessarily the main first thing that I was planning to do when I started out doing this. You know I love <laughs> going to football and and you know bloody trying to convey the atmosphere and and making sure people who are watching the telly are having a good time and and get the vibe basically. But but this stuff is so important beyond football, um, like you said. This is yeah 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 that I. And I'd become interested in it. And and I was one of the few people in the world who actually had the kind of access. I mean, maybe the only person um, who had that kind of access that was able to to do something like this. Because um, a lot of the other people who know about all this stuff actually are high, you know, are like still based in Qatar and uh, are paid by Qatar. So it's very difficult to do stuff like this. So yeah, in terms of the sources, um, yeah, I had to be very careful and you know, in lots of cases, the names weren't weren't given, and one or two cases there were like different voices or like yeah. So it was it was something I thought about a lot, and I actually there's a guy. Um, I ended up like speaking to the guys who make uh the Louis Theroux documentaries just to like sense check a few things around that. Um, just to see you know like have I I feel nervous about this like because I had one friend I wanted to put on tape because I thought he was a really interesting example of a very moderate uh person based there not actually Qatari but from the region and I actually wanted to talk to him about the kind of feeling about having gay fans there and yeah I just really over underestimated like what moderate means in that part of the world as opposed to you know a moderate British person and and he got very upset with me for asking him about even just asking about it and so I, in the end we didn't I didn't use that at all so it was always about trying to make sure that everyone felt happy with what they had contributed and that if someone spoke they weren't if they were happy to be traced then you know or were happy to be like public about it then that was great and and they were they had the ability to confirm that and if not that we either didn't use it or used it very carefully yeah, that's such a added responsibility, and um, I, I hope that we do a duty of care to our to our guests on um, on this podcast. Um, we're not going to, yeah, cut anything in a way that paints anybody in, in a negative light or anything like that. Or, um, uh, but definitely, um, like you said, maybe something you don't typically have to consider until you end up um, passing a certain threshold of kind of um, stepping away from the game and dealing with real life, um, which uh, yeah. we can. Although, to, sorry to cut across, although I suppose that is something I, you'd inst- I'd instinctively been doing up till then, just in, lo- in a lot more low stakes way. Like, you know, when I speak to somebody, especially a footballer, you know, anyone who's incredibly famous, it's difficult. The reason why, to be honest, doing interviews with very famous footballers is not that interesting, um, although I'm happy to, um, is that, you know, it's very, very hard for them to say anything at all. Because if they're fa- if they reach a certain threshold of fame, then people will take 
the, the interview or anything that they do and we'll look through it and we'll get the lines out and we'll maybe not even like quaff them but anything you know you say an aside or you make a joke that could be taken in a in a difficult way if it's you know written out long form and the context is removed so it, it's very hard for somebody who's like whatever Mbappe levels of fame to ever say anything particularly interesting in a mainstream way um so you so even with lower not not so famous people you have to just be I try and be sensitive I'm not trying to stitch anyone up ever I try and be sensitive to trying you know the dream about an interview as you guys know is like to make the person come across as they are to give that to give us faithful an account of themselves as possible now it's possible that that person might be a prick and in that case maybe they'll come across that way too but you know as long as you're like trying to support them and and be uh it creates something interesting and 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 not being sinister about it then then i think you've done what you can yeah probably you know how much more relevant could that be uh with one of your recent interviews dario serna uh for instance you know given kind of like his ties to ukraine and obviously the political kind of um situations surrounding that so yeah you, you gotta be careful what you say when you're in that in that type of position not even careful what you say it's just like you said there's there's some things it's just not not even worth getting into just because no matter how you say it or what you say just out of context it can it can look bad um uh for, for kind of the wrong person reading it so um the be- thing better... people kicked off about that by the way was that he said that mariam that um mudrish is like what did he, he compare him to in hazard or something i can't remember he said mudrick is gonna be like the one of the best thing yeah yeah. like but he really he compared him to someone very very brilliant that i can't remember who it was mbappe someone like mbappe he said basically that and uh, that blew up um in like independently of of this so yeah that wasn't even something i'd been worried about at all right but he was then getting a whole load of like people shouting at him for for saying these things dario 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 (laughs) (laughs) you're just worrying about war but you should have been worrying about (laughs) right how, how much quality Mudrick's got? Well, you have these kind of incredible opportunities to, you know, have these conversations with these these people, and you you kind of um, whether or not it's it's an interview, you you, you do it across all these mediums, uh, you know, radio, TV, writing, podcasting. Um, they're all quite similar, but in their own way, each of them, you know, there is a unique way to approach it, or um, a, a, a way to do it better than 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 otherwise. So. How do you kind of juggle all of these plates and then also do such a great job at the same time, given the kind of different approach that you have to take to each one? Yeah. Oh, bless you. Oh, thank you. Um, They are pretty different in the sense of, so for example, with TV, so I did a couple of years on Sky Sports News where you'd be doing um, like maybe a three minute interview in a live like so each of the hours on sports news it's got adverts at quarter past half past quarter yeah. two right so your your segment you know the most you're ever going to have is about seven minutes let's say if it was someone absolutely massive and normally you'd you might have someone on for like three or four minutes so a lot of that is just about do it again just 
asking the relevant po talking points but but you can't really take it much further than that and and almost if like you know someone's telling you where they've buried the body you'd still probably have to be like now oh yeah so we're getting to a commercial break like there's not really um an ability to to provide all that much additional insight so with that that's more about like being being diligent and recognizing the, the structure of the format and and also like being in touch with the guys who are behind their cameras who have maybe they might have booked this guest because they've got a particular thing line that they want and so you have to be sensitive to like the work that they've put in and even if you think all oh, right I'd much rather hear about whatever then okay fine you go with the the people who've um who are thinking about the bigger the broader picture perhaps so that's that's more like I think of telly is more like um more like a performance more like a play more like a yeah performance medium whereas I think of radio and podcasting as more like a more interrogative more like conversational you, you know you might learn something completely new and then in terms of writing you know that's more about trying to find out what you think I reckon um so yeah it's funny you can talk and talk and talk on a on on a ramble or wherever um fighting talk sometimes on BBC and then you still don't have a clue what you think about something and then you write 600 words or whatever and and you've got a oh right that's what I think so that's quite that's quite a privilege really to get the chance to do that and put it somewhere where people will read yeah well, I mean it's it's so cool you kind of you know, get the opportunities to work on all these different mediums and um yeah to be honest like you said they're all also I mean everyone's consuming sport in any way they can so yeah the more the more mediums we find you on the better quite frankly because yeah we're all with Ty and I we're, we're following all these different things but um we'll go back to some I guess we sort of spoke about it a bit at the start of the podcast but it's it has been an amazing Premier League season maybe not for Tottenham but it has just in general been a very exciting season so we've sort of we've sort of mentioned this already but we'll just quickly that there is this title race between Arsenal and City so mm. what I'll ask um both of you guys Kate and Kai is obviously it's going to be Arsenal City that will win the league. Who do you think it will be and why? I'll quickly just say, I don't want to jinx it, but I do think that Man City are going to do it. I think Arsenal are running out of steam. And I think that the fact Saliba's got injured has exposed a bit of a weakness in that side. No offence to Rob Holding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, I just think that City's squad is so strong and Haaland's a robot and all the rest of it that they they will do it but um Kate I know you're yeah. almost, you don't want Arsenal to win the league but who, who, what, what do you think is going to happen in the title race but on the subject of Rob Holding though I would say that I was doing we're watching the um would have been the Chelsea Liverpool game the world's most boring game a few oh god days yeah ago. the nil nil yeah that yeah. was unbelievably yeah, it boring fun. and it was so boring that we ended up doing a Premier League boy band and Rob, <laughs> and Rob Holding Fantastic. made it so at least, you know, I mean, there was some debate about Ben Ben White, but we felt like he wasn't quite, he was for like a different target market. He's more um, like Ibiza Lads Holiday or something. Yeah, 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 exactly. Look, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the Arsenal fixtures remaining. And the next, well, the next game is Southampton. And then of course there's a City game. Chelsea are beatable. I think the, the run in, Arsenal's run in is, is easier. So, based purely on I, this idea of them bottling it, I, 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 what does that even mean in the context of a side that are like no, sh shouldn't 
be in this kind of position. I was doing inverted commas there because this shouldn't in my head. But also, as you were saying, Kai, like you didn't expect this to be happening this season, right? So I don't even think it's possible for Arsenal to be bottlers, except obviously in the context of how far they've got so far. Yeah, but it's silly, isn't it? Really, like, it, it's, it's silly. The, the same thing it's was labelled at the Spurs team and with Pochettino when a couple of the year. I mean, we had the third in a two-horse race, which is just classic Spurs. But then the other season with Conte at Chelsea, again, I don't think we even led the league at any point in that season, but we apparently bottled it. So, yeah, it's always... I know it's a slightly different situation with Arsenal, which is funny that you have led the league, but still, like you said, it's not It's not really bottling it. When, it's um, not. <laughs> it's not quite. Yeah, it's not. You think, whose side, whose side are we on? But, yeah, I'm sorry, it's not. It's an amazing... It's an amazing achievement. I'm not here to blow smoke up Arsenal's ass, but um, it is. However, wherever you end up, but I think the running is easier for Arsenal. So yes. you're going to win the league. Okay. Kai, before there you, you go. move to the next one, do you agree with Kate or do you agree with me? I'm going to agree with uh, Kate because. Um, oh, God. Yeah. So you're yeah. more confident now than you were earlier. Well, wow. you know, I'd, I'd rather crash back down to reality than um be a, a pessimist who kind of wasn't pulling in the in the right direction when the actual thing comes true um i'd feel like such a kind of bandwagoner yeah. at that point um so gotta stick behind the boys thick, thick and thin and um you know second place isn't the end of the world we'll be in the champions league next year regardless um hopefully strengthen a little bit and you know pep's time at city I, I think he what probably not that long ago did sign a bit of an extension, but he just he wants to win the Champions League. How many heartbreaks can he take in in that kind of regard? And um, if he does get it, is there going to be like any more for him to really feel like he he wants to accomplish? So I think um, City's uh, kind of train will will fall off the tracks a little bit when that time comes, inevitably, just as it does with any kind of um, you know great manager leaving a club. Um, so if that happens soon enough, then, you know, we'll still be there or thereabouts. Otherwise they might just pull off into the stratosphere with, with Holland over the next few years and just be unreachable. Um, so hopefully mm. that's not the case. Um, so I'm going to go with yeah, Arsenal. No one wants that. Yeah. No one yeah. wants that. Um, there you go. Yeah. It's going to be close. It's going to be close. It is, yeah. It is an equivalent uh, to be clear about the running thing it is an equivalent, a semi-equivalent, the teams that you guys are up against in some cases, very similar, but. Obviously, if they're trying to win the Champions League, makes a big difference. Yeah, I think we've got Newcastle away last game of the season, even perhaps, which isn't going to be an easy one. But uh, hopefully by then it might be wrapped up because City will be distracted by the shiny Champions League or something like that. Um, but let's flip it back to Spurs. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> that'll be a less stressful, <laughs> less stressful conversation for me. Um, and speaking on kind of the manager situation, um, you know, clearly there's... A lot of issues uh, around the club in particular, but um, definitely around the first team um, right now. So, Kate, how does it get better? <laughs> Such a big question. How does, how does it get better? And uh, who is the manager to guide the squad through the improvements that are needed? Oh, I don't want to be this like. This is. I'm not. I'm not going to start banging on about Pochettino. Am I? <laughs> I, just... I mean, I don't know. Are you going to take the bait? <laughs> it is so tempting to do that. I've hold, I've I've held off so far, but I'm 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 nearly I'm nearly at that point. But it's so basic. It's like you don't you're not supposed to go back, you know, with the relationships. Yeah. But the relationship was good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I I think 
I think ideally we'd want somebody who is like Pochettino was when he was appointed. There was that in that kind of stage in his career. And maybe I'm just being so basic that I want Pochettino still. But there are lots of like, I don't know. The, the, the tricky thing with Pochettino is the relationship between him and Daniel Levy. And I remember when um, when they were leaving, when they, him and Jesus Perez and, and, and it was clear that things were winding down, there was this sense that they had done so much for the club, which they had, and they'd done this whole like season and a half without any bloody signings. And 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 in reaction, they hadn't been subsequently backed and then they hadn't really kind of been treated with, with respect anyway, as in the respect of saying like, okay, we're going to help you, you know, reshape that back line, get in the players. I, and and then getting Jose, getting Conte, the club did spend the money. So... It would be hard. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it would be hard to understand how the relationship could be built, rebuilt between the club, as it were, and and Pochettino. But yeah, I don't know. For me, that would be kind of. I th- I don't know if I'm just being super duper basic, but I feel like it would it would mean a lot if he were to come back, and and you sort of still have that belief. Um, lots of people are talking about Portuguese managers as a kind of rough equivalent. So Ruben Amorim. Um, who won Sporting, won the league with Sporting quite cheaply. Um, Levy will love Constance, him. Sorry? Daniel Levy will love him. If, uh... Yeah, well, you know, he's, uh, he's familiar with Pedro Porro. <laughs> yeah, perfect. It's fine, it's yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but and then there's obviously Sergio Constance as well. But I think, um, I think, no, to the point about Daniel Levy, like I, you know, we are trying to compete with, like with well with literally with Saudi Arabia like you know there is there is the challenges that he faces are very different to the challenges that that a lot of these other clubs face um and so yeah I don't get you know when there's like press releases about the what was it the the like F one collaboration with the oh, stadium? The you know? track, yeah. yeah, it's a bit silly, and I can see why it annoys people when they're just like worrying about the league. But equally, like in our case, in Tottenham's case, football actually is trying to be a business, and in quite a lot of other cases, it's not. It's a PR again to return to that point about Qatar. It's a PR exercise that co- that can cost whatever you want. So that would be my pushback to the kind of. Um, you know, doing things on the cheap idea. However, I think there is something to be said for appointing a kind of manager who's used to doing things in a lean way and also is like built, building up a team that works together. I mean, we love that stuff. And clearly an old, old, a guy like Jose, like Conte, who's done it before and is just expecting to, yeah, it hasn't worked. So, you just described Graham, Graham Potter in the first part of that sentence and that, that, didn't, <laughs> that didn't work either. <laughs> Well, not not for you guys, but not for yeah for Chelsea, but yeah, but that I mean that challenge is is yeah, greater. Fair enough. I think, yeah. Slash hope, by the way. Yeah, it, it's we'll quite sorry, happens. but it is nice to see Chelsea not compete. I know. At least that's something we can all kind of find collectively. Yeah, behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh um, my goodness. Yeah, Pochettino at the moment. I I wouldn't say no to him. I kind of want someone like an armor slot or a even like a Vincent company to come in, play attacking football, try and get the fans back on side. We're so kind of disjointed as a fan base and a club at the moment. But yeah, I do I do think there's something to be said for the problem start at the top. Whilst commercially, 
Levy's done a fantastic job. It's an amazing stadium. We're in a financially solid place. I think some of the on-pitch decisions have really cost us when we were in, as we joked about, but we seriously were in a fantastic position a few years ago. But we shall see. We shall see. Um, Away from Tottenham, very quickly before we end, there's mm-hmm. a, there is a top four battle going on and there's a big relegation battle going on. So these will be quick fire questions. But who do we think, we've sort of talked about the title race, who, who's going to make up the top four? Let's just assume City and Arsenal in it. Who's finishing third and fourth? I'll go quickly first. I yeah. do think United will, will do it. And then actually my wild card for fourth is Brighton. I know they lost to nice. Arsenal. Um, yeah, why not? Yeah, I just think they got a few games in hand. They play brilliant football. Um well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why not? They just seem to they seem to be great. So Brighton's my kind of spot for fourth. Kai, what what do you think? Top four United and I'm gonna stick with Newcastle. Um I fear what might be coming given, yeah, the the money and the resources mm. that, that they have going into European football and um but uh you know they've done really well. They're a really good team. Best defense in the Premier League, I think. Uh, Eddie Howe has been extremely impressive and they they have a few Bruno Guimaraes and you know uh, Isaac the striker they they look good I like Saint Maximan as well yes um I think the top four probably does look right as it is now I mean obviously yeah Newcastle and United have got a game in hand over us and we're with 53 points I like the Brighton idea just to shake things up I mean there is a no, nah, I'm sorry. I was going to start talking about Liverpool, but they're so mad because they like you know win they're win weird. massively they're and so then incon- yeah, they're just get odd. destroyed. It's just <laughs> unbelievable. So yeah, I think the most plausible outcome is is what you said, Kai, that that it stays as it is. And there's loads of stats about this that I can never remember about how you know like at a certain point of the season, if you're in fourth, you, you're going to finish yeah, yeah, in the top yeah. four. And I think we've reached that threshold now. Uh, but needless to say, I would prefer it was not the case. Cool. Okay, and then quickly, we've got a relegation battle as well. So many teams yeah. to go down. And um, again, I'll start quickly with the three. I think I think Southampton are down sadly. Down, yeah. I think Leeds. They've lost five, one, six, one. Their last two home games. That seems to be a problem for me. So I think they'll go down. <laughs> and then I, even though I'm a bit sad about this because it's good they've come back in the Premier League. I think Forest are in a bit of a tricky spot as well. Um, yeah. And I think all their many signings will have to go and play in the the Championship <laughs> next season. Um, but Kai, yeah, what do you think? Southampton, Leicester just looks so bad. And um, we'll see yeah, if Dean, Dean Smith can do anything about that. Um, I'd like to poach a few of their players if if they do go down. Maybe like Harvey Barnes and uh, Tielemans and, uh, and Madison wouldn't wouldn't be bad. Uh, otherwise, randomly, I've got, I've got, I'm just looking at the run-in. West Ham, they are kind of, they have a game in hand and they're slightly out of the relegation zone, but they have really tough games, I think, from looking at their run-in. And also, I'm just quite bitter about um, them having uh, taken a couple of points off of. So, I was thinking that guy. Yeah. I was, I was yeah. wondering if that was influencing. Uh, <laughs> that, that crept into my decision making. Yeah. Um, yeah. So up the hammers. They've always been my favourite Premier League side, apart from Tottenham. Sure. Um, I was just, I've just been looking at this like amazing uh, XG table. Okay. I don't know how much you get off an XG, which I don't really, because I don't really understand maths. But it's quite <laughs> interesting because um, it shows you uh, like X of points like yeah, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so the thing is about um Leicester is that they're basically according to this sorry it's tiny they're like nine points behind where they sort of theoretically should have been mm. which maybe speaks to them getting out of it because your luck 
Like they've right. got just enough time for it to turn. And similarly, West Ham are 11 points behind where they quote unquote should have been. So with that reasoning, I would say Southampton, yeah, totally agreed down. Forest down. And then look, I'd kind of be interested to see. I mean, I thought this last season to see Everton go down. Yeah. Because yeah. I've got a lot of pals who are Everton fans and I and I feel for them. And I've watched quite a lot of Everton this season. And oh my God. But they it almost feels like they need a reboot. Like it might yeah, be a blessing right. in disguise. Yeah. Just think just that Deutsch factor. I know they lost on the weekend to Fulham. I just think he'll he'll keep them up. He just he just has some of these managers have this knack of doing it. And yeah, he seems to well, we'll find out if he does still or yeah. not. Um, but yeah, it's definitely um there's still a lot to play for this season, which is is exciting. Um, but I still just want it to end as quickly as possible, if I'm honest, at the same time. Um and speaking of um things ending, that sort of brings us to an end of um this podcast today. So um on behalf of Kai and myself, Kate, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we've really enjoyed chatting to you. It's been a lot of fun. And um, for our listeners who are um, yeah, listening to this podcast, how um, how can they best follow you, Kate, and sort of just keep up to date with all the many stuff um, you're doing at the moment? Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. And thanks so much for having me. This has been this has been great. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram. So it's at KVL Mason, uh, which are my initials as you could probably imagine. And um, and then, yeah, I've got this column in the Metro. So if you ever want to, if you ever find yourself on a tube on a Friday and want to read my ramblings, it's not always on football. Um, I've also just, I'm just about to start this interesting, really fun new presenting gig, actually, with Eurosport, uh, which is not football, but um, I'm going to be the host of the Mountain Viking coverage this season, the next few seasons. And I'm really psyched about that because it feels like they've got a massively like engaged fan base and also it's just fun to get out to mountains and like see crazy people do crazy things so that that's over the summer if you happen to have Eurosport or Discovery uh, and then yeah I do BBC Final Score on Saturdays. That's always one of those things whenever I'm back in in London that kind of brings me full circle nostalgia is getting on the tube and uh, picking up a copy of the the, the Metro um, so I'm going to be extra keeping an eye out for for your column Kate but thanks again sincerely sincerely appreciate um, you taking the time to join us on this podcast and thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you as well. So best of luck with everything that you're up to. Uh, for our listeners, if, if you enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe uh, wherever it is that you uh, listen to your favorite podcasts. Just search for United Mates Football Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at United Mates FP. If you feel like putting some faces to these voices, then you can find us on YouTube as well. Just look for United Mates Football Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe while you're at it. Until next time, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Goodbye.